0: On a summer's day in the month of May, a burly bum a hiking. He was walking along through
1: the sugar cane. He was looking for a liking. and as he strolled along, he sang songs of the land of the Middle can of honey.
2: Hey there! This is the Sounds of the Trail Podcast, a place where we talk about the ups, downs, and switchbacks of trail life. It's time for a hike.
0: A bum can
3: stay for
0: many a day and he won't need any money. Oh.
2: Let's start off with a math problem. Bear with me for just a second. I promise it's trail-related. So let's imagine we have 1,000 hikers all getting ready to start a long trail. And let's assume that they all hike 20 miles a day. And then let's also assume that every single one of those hikers takes one poop a day. I'm not sure if that's conservative or not, but let's go with it. So if you do the math, 1,000 hikers, 20 miles a day, one poop per day, that means for every 20-mile stretch, there are 1,000 poops. You could also convert that to a different metric and say that there are 50 poops per mile. Let's say every single one of those through hikers buried their toilet paper underneath, I don't know, an inch or so of gravel with little pieces sticking out, and animals dug it up. If animals dig up just 20% of the poop paper, that's 10 poop papers dug up per mile. So if you are the last hiker on that trail, you can expect to see somewhere around 20,000 pieces of used toilet paper on your journey. Gross. Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. This is episode number 11, Sins of a Through Hiker, and I'm your host, Gizmo. I'd apologize for starting off a perfectly good hiking podcast with a math problem, but I'm an engineer, and anyone who sticks around long enough will eventually be subjected to a math problem or two. Kimchi can actually attest to this. During our through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail last year, oh, right about in the middle, I ran into Kimchi after a couple weeks of not seeing her. We were hanging out in town and having a good time, and, and somehow we got onto the subject of poop, as thru hikers are prone to do. And over the course of the conversation, I realized that Kimchi did not pack out her used toilet paper. And then I made her listen to my math problem, and then I lectured her, and then I kept going. There I was with a friend I was so excited to see and reconnect with and who I probably wouldn't get to see after that, and, and I sat there and I lectured her about her used toilet paper for like an hour. Not much longer after that, I had to leave to get back on trail, and pretty much as soon as I was back on trail and thinking back over my conversations with my friends, I realized that I'd been a giant pedantic jerk. And to be honest, I sort of thought I might have ruined a friendship because who wants to be friends with that person? Um, I mean, leave no traces is important, but come on. I didn't see Kimchi again until more than a month later. And when we saw each other, we ran up to each other and, and hugged each other. And she says, you remember that conversation we had back in Sierra City? And I just start apologizing like, oh man, you know, like I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to. To come across like that, and and you know, and and Kimchi just cuts off my apology and says, "Just so you know, I have packed out every single piece of my toilet paper since then, and every single time I take a poop, I think of you." It was one of the proudest moments of my life. Well, if you haven't already guessed, this week's episode is on Leave No Trace. We're going to explore a bit more about what Leave No Trace means, how it affects us as hikers. And what it can give to us and our experiences. And we're going to start off the conversation with a clip from Kimchi and her friend Kodak.
3: So, this is Kimchi with Sounds of the Trail. I'm talking to Kodak, who I met, well, kind of met inadvertently through, I don't know, how do we meet Kodak? <laughs>
1: I guess you could say trail days, but we kind of met through Photoshop out of Philly.
3: Yeah, I mean, I knew who you were before you started the trail, and Kodak initially contacted me to ask me for some information about through hiking, and now, man, he's like really far ahead in the trail and only has about 900 miles left. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, so go for it.
1: So, I'm Kodak. I'm from Jersey. I started March 30th. And I just reached New Jersey today. I'm at a backpacker campsite only a couple miles in and uh, sitting up on a ridge watching the sunset. Well, now I'm in my tent, but we watched the sunset. It was awesome. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous that you're on the trail and just like crushing it. <laughs> Man, so you're already in New Jersey. Um, this is good. It's good to talk to you because I feel like you were actually in the bubble the bubble is what we call it, I guess, basically when a bunch of people are sort of starting at the same time and, I guess, moving at the same pace, uh, just a lot of bodies going along the trail, and it gets thinned out, but Kodak's been through all of it. He's been in the bubble, he's been alone, he's been with a couple of different groups of people, he's gone through a couple of different trail families, I think. You basically, you're good, you're weathered, you're a seasoned through hiker at this point on the Appalachian Trail.
0: Yeah. For sure.
1: Now, uh, yeah, I think it's like the third or fourth like little family grouping I've made out here, which is cool because I'm still really good friends with all of them, which is nice. <laughs> um,
3: so I guess the topic that we wanted to talk about on for this interview was "Leave No Trace." That's the first thing we can talk about, and I know that's kind of like a—it's not as exciting as telling stories about what people do on the trail and like. Yeah, watching the sunset, you know, at the end of the day. But <laughs> um I noticed that on, and I talked to you silver lining about this, I noticed that on the Appalachian Trail people are not quite as uh strong about following some of those principles. Do you want to talk about what leave no trace means, uh, since you are now a seasoned through hiker? <laughs>
1: I don't know if we can call me seasoned yet, but you're really <laughs> yeah, uh uh
3: you're seasoned. <laughs>
1: it's simple as if you pack it in you need to pack it out too often seeing more trash just sitting in fire pits and not even burned just like people's full bags of trash left over and it's just people being lazy and not wanting to carry it out and it's terrible for you know the environment it attracts animals to the site and eventually you know the animals are going to get familiar with the areas and that it's going to make those campgrounds not as safe for hikers in the future, which is terrible altogether.
3: All right. So what kind of, like, do you have any any kind of things you do? Like, I pack out all of my toilet paper. That's just one thing that I do. And I don't I don't use any, like, detergents or soaps or anything like that when I'm on the trail. And I make sure I pack out all my trash. And, like, everything gets packed out. And I even pick up trash on the trail. Do you have any, like, little things that you do?
1: We, uh, well... Personally, like micro trash and stuff like that, you know, you're walking down the trail and you see it, just kind of grab it. I mean, I know it adds up and you can't grab it all, but little things like that where you just see it and you can just make a little bit of a difference here and there. Um, I'm not very good about planting my poops out, so I can't really say I haven't dug <laughs> my fair share of kettles but... <laughs> <laughs> As for uh, everything else, you know, I try to... If I clean out my pot with a, with a napkin or, you know, anything like that, it's right in my food bag or right in my trash bag with everything else. I think I usually bring out a lot more than I bring in, which is the weird thing. Hmm,
3: yeah, I, I feel like I noticed that, too. Uh, are there... Leave No traces like, such a, a strange topic to talk about, just because people, I think, are usually wanting to hear more about our crazy adventures or, like, our aches and pains or whatever the heck else we're doing. But it's a really important <clears throat> thing to talk about, uh, mainly because it helps us to keep recreating in general in that area. And it is our home, living on the trail. And maybe, I don't know, have you noticed, like, any, like, I kind of noticed that day, people who are day hiking seem to, like, really not necessarily pay attention sometimes do you have anything that you can say to maybe, like, help novices and or new thru-hikers, like, just understand what the deal is with packing it in and packing it out?
1: It's just simple. I mean, it's not simple, but, you know, the future of the trail is kind of in our hands. You know, you if you treat it bad and trash everywhere, there's not going to be places for us to stay out here, and then it's eventually going to fall apart or get more dangerous than it already is with the wildlife out here, and... Wildlife kind of keeps its distance as of now, but you know you keep trashing up spots, and they're not going to really keep their distance. They're going to expect to see food there every night, and they're going to make a pattern of going there every night just to get food. It's ultimately, I think, uh, you know, day hikers, section hikers, through hikers. It's it's not a it's not a uh, big deal. It's, if you pack it in, you're packing out a wrapper that's empty. It's probably not even after you have 30 of those, it's probably not even a half a pound. It shouldn't be a big deal to carry it out.
0: Okay, <laughs> exactly. What, uh,
3: what's like, what do you notice the most on the trail? If you had to notice people, and you don't have to call anybody out, but what do you notice the most, like, out of the people sort of neglecting the leave no trace principles?
1: Ooh, that's tough. I th- I think it's usually like little candy wrappers. I always see little candy wrappers. And I don't know if it's, just like people just neglecting to care or if it's just like, oh, it's just a little wrapper, I'm going to drop it and, you know, that way I don't have to worry about carrying it in my pocket and getting chocolate inside my pocket or something.
3: <laughs> have you noticed, I, and I've talked about this too, because on the PCT we didn't have shelters at all, but the shelters seem to be a really interesting place for people to leave all kinds of odds and ends.
1: <laughs> oh, I've seen everything at a shelter. I've seen um, people's dirty laundry, I've seen dirty underwear, um, Full some food bags even, like, just their plastic bags even have leftover food in it. And half the time they don't even leave it in a bag, so there's just ants crawling everywhere. <laughs> shelters are not uh, shelters are almost becoming like a garbage ground for uh, some of the lazier hikers that don't feel like cleaning up their mess.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's something that's good to talk about because you mentioned wildlife, kind of like frequenting those areas um, and becoming more familiar with it and expecting food. And while that's a nuisance and unsafe for people, it also means that we are going to be responsible for getting bears killed.
1: Um, I mean, first and foremost,
3: that's like their habitat, first and foremost. So do you want to talk about that at all or...
1: Um, I was just, I mean, like you said, uh, if a bear gets, you know, close to any of us, uh, any humans for that matter. And I mean, we're in their home, technically, this is, we're just hiking through it. We're not, we don't live here. They live here. And, you know, if they start getting too close to the humans, the first thing they're going to do is there's going to be a very small, like, you know, even like a startling with a bear or, or some sort of confrontation. And, you know, they're going to call it in, and next thing you know, they're going to be out there hunting that bear down just because he was coming to where all the food scraps are every night. It's easy food. Why? I mean, why wouldn't he want it? But at the same time, you know, we shouldn't be providing easy food for them. It's endangering them.
3: I totally agree with that, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like we all kind of go out there, like, sort of knowing that we shouldn't be leaving any trace, literally leaving any trace. I mean, uh, silver lining again mention something like if you get, like, if you're going to a space, you want to make sure it looks like you've never ever been there at all.
1: Yeah. If not cleaner than when you got there. Yeah.
3: Do you have, like, have you ever had any sort of, like, interactions with people about it? It's really hard to call people out about their their own leave-no-trace principles. Uh, people, I mean, luckily, like, I have a good way of doing it, I think, usually, and people sort of deal with my Rude jokiness, but do you have you ever had to, have you ever had to have any like kind of like an, an
1: intervention with any hikers or no? Oh man, it's actually funny you ask this now because last last night or two nights ago, uh, I was stealth camping and then uh, a group of about I want to say twelve to fifteen like teenagers came in and I don't know maybe they were like eighteen to twenty. They seemed younger. They were up past hiker midnight, which was absurd and. They come in, and they're getting all rowdy, and I can tell they're just, like, you know, real uh, careless with their trash. So I walked over, and I was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm not anyone's parent. I'm just one of you guys, like, is there any way, like, you guys can make sure you just pack out all your trash, respect the area and stuff, so I don't have any animals coming through tonight and coming to my tent to check out things? And they're actually pretty understanding with it. Um, I was a little... Nervous, I'm sitting there, like, my heart's kind of pounding, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy, but I kind of <laughs> want to stay safe tonight.
3: <laughs> and also, it's just good to be respectful to the trail, aside from, <laughs> yeah. from
2: that. It sounds like Kodak is much more diplomatic than me when he talks to people about Leave No Trace. Although, you may have noted that Kim Chi still packs out her used TP. It's really not so bad as it sounds, I just use a grocery sack, which I like to use because it's opaque, and I just have a knot in the top and I throw my TP in there and I knot it back up and I stick it in the Ziploc bag with my, you know, unused toilet paper and my little trowel and I move forward with my business. It doesn't bother anybody. Anyhow, you get to feel like an environmental hero every single time you poop. But I digress as i was saying a little bit earlier it's it's hard to talk to other people about leave no trace whether they're friends or complete strangers i mean you're you're going up to somebody and trying to correct behavior it's it's pretty presumptuous but i don't i obviously don't want to encourage anyone to put themselves in an unsafe situation but if you're in a situation where you can think of like a nice way to to introduce a subject and talk to people I would, I would strongly encourage that you do so. We're all outside. We're all learning. I only pack out my used TP because somebody else talked to me and educated me on how simple it is to do something just a little bit better. I mean, toilet paper, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's biodegradable. It is going to go away someday. Uh, you can just bury it. But, I mean, it's on this hierarchy. There's no, it's not a bright line between what's good behavior and bad behavior. We're all just trying to improve and to be better citizens of the world, of the outdoors, better stewards of this wonderful wilderness and the places that we have. Onwards and upwards, right? Anyhow, in our next conversation, Kimchi and Silverlining talk some more about poop and also flesh out this idea of leave no trace a little bit more.
3: Hello, so, this is Kim Chi with Down on the Trail, and I am talking to Silver Lining uh, via telephone, since I can't really be on the trail. Do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, hey, my name's is Silver Lining. I am through hiking the Appalachian Trail this year, and I met Kim Chi about two months ago hiking. So, <laughs> just hanging out. I'm actually visiting my sister in Richmond, Virginia for a few days and so anxious to get back on the trail. Um, And the holiday is approaching, it's almost 4th of July.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> so, first things first, Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from and kind of how you, how you even got on
0: the Appalachian Trail? Well, I was born and raised in New Hampshire and uh, my dad was a pretty active guy and at a very young age he took me up on the trail in northern New Hampshire. And did some overnight hiking and I remember being about five or six years old and walking up on a shelter and seeing some really scruffy looking people with very big backpacks uh, and I asked them what they were doing and they told me they were hiking the whole trail and they got to sleep in these shelters every night and Uh, that's when it all started for me so at a very young age um, I got a very big interest in the trail and then I went on life I spent about 30 years in Colorado and had a family raised some daughters and just recently I uh, my daughters all grew up and they're in college now so I had no parental responsibilities and just decided to hike the trail in January so I put all my effort behind it and sold my business and, and uh, relocated my whole life to the trail and, and have devoted myself to it since about the beginning of April, mid-April, actually.
3: Awesome. Um, yeah, luckily I got to meet Silver Lining. He's a super positive and awesome guy, and I'm really excited that he made the time to let me interview him today. Hopefully this sound isn't too bad. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm interviewing him from Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I am kind of stuck on hiatus until my foot heals. But uh, so silver lining. We're going to talk today about uh, Leave No Trace and basically just what that means for you and what, how you view it. And uh, I don't know, it's a big part of the trail, I think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand it. (laughs) And if they do, sometimes they just kind of, like, choose little parts of it to hold on to. Um, The Appalachian Trail, I've noticed, has quite a bit of litter and debris a lot of the time. And I just noticed certain leave-no-trace principles that I don't think are really adhered to. I'm wondering kind of what your take is on it.
0: Well, I think that, like, right now at this stage, like, this is one of the most important issues there is about the trail. This year, I think especially there was record numbers starting out. And uh, like you said, a lot of these people don't really seem familiar with the concept of Leave No Trace. So uh, it's extremely taxing, for the, especially the southern end of the trail, to have some 100 people a day starting out on a through hike. And uh, it's not everybody's familiar with the concept of Leave No Trace. It can really mar the landscape. And people don't realize the damage you do the environment, uh, especially alongside or right on the trail, takes many, many years to to heal up. You know, it's not something that is just going to cure itself overnight. So, besides the the trash, I see a lot of other things where where people are definitely not applying the principles of Leave No Trace. Well, I think Leave No Trace can be summed up really simply. It's the fact that as you're moving forward, look behind you. You should see no sign of where you've been. Um, it's quite literally that. It, it means that leave no sign that you've been there. And that that is as simple as hauling out your trash or a little bit more complex of like staying in the middle of the rut in the trail when things are uncomfortable, if it's filled with water. When you start just hiking a few feet off a trail in either direction, you've actually violated one of the concepts and principles of leave no trace right there. And if enough people do that over the course of a season, uh, it will definitely mar the landscape. So um, basically, it's a really simple concept. Look behind you and make sure that you can't tell that you've been there. Leave no trace. Like you, it should look as it was when you showed up, when you leave. Whether you're just simply stopping for a break, or camping overnight, or spending a few days uh, waiting out a storm or whatever.
3: Yeah, and I think <clears throat> for me, one of the biggest things is we we're living out there. That's our home. As a as a thru hiker or as someone recreating in general out there. He, I mean, silver lining strikes. Like, you want to make it as if you've never, ever, ever been there. And that's really hard for us to do, right, as human beings, especially if we are going to go to the bathroom. Um, another thing I noticed is that people never dig deep enough holes for their crap. <laughs> you know, what did you call it last night? You called it a minefield?
0: <laughs> yeah, like in the Smoky Mountains, there's there's several shelters that have no privies, and there are quarter to half acre just minefields and everybody kind of cringes and and kind of just sucks it up and pulls up their pants and walks into it and goes and finds their own spot. But I, I hiked through there towards the latter part of the season this year. I was at the tail end of the bubble, and um, it was just hellacious. I mean, I, I'd never seen anything quite like it, um, especially in a national park. But um, you, you see it all over the place, actually. You know, people, I, I don't know if they're just not digging their cat holes deep enough. I mean, it's supposed to be six to eight inches, and then, you know, put your toilet paper in there and then bury everything. I think a lot of people just, they'll bury their their poop, but they'll just put their toilet paper kind of on the surface and then just throw a few leaves over it. And uh, it doesn't take very long for an animal to come along or the wind and, and just expose a whole lot of toilet paper. And there's nothing worse than than walking along and just knowing what what you're seeing when you see little white pieces of toilet paper everywhere because they're there for a reason and it's not not healthy at all for the environment or ourselves. I mean, uh, you know, people can get really sick from this kind of stuff. Especially, Liz, I don't see a lot of people with the knowledge and leave no trace of how far away from a water source they should be or how they shouldn't wash themselves in the same water source we're all drinking out of.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: these kinds of things, too, you know. It's just, I, think, I think part of the problem with leave no trace is, is it's, it's a really set in stone kind of <laughs> institution. I mean, there's principles there that exist and you can actually get certified in this stuff. A lot of these people, they don't know all the principles, so they might violate one or two and their conscience will allow them to get away with it because they're just like such a low impact. But when you multiply that by, you know, hundreds of people in a season, it adds up really quickly and it does take a huge toll on the environment. And it becomes such a problem that it's hard to correct. Like, I can't imagine how the Forest Service is going to correct the quarter to half acre minefields that exist in the Smokies right outside of some of these shelters. I mean, I don't know how you go in there and reclaim that land.
3: That's a really good point. But I really think, I think one of the best points you brought up is something that people never think about the washing up in water, uh, in water sources. That's something I see all the time. people constantly bring like a little Dr. Bronner's soap and they just say, Oh, it's okay. It's biodegradable. And it's, you know, it's okay to wash myself in this stream or in this in this area, but um, it's not. You know, that stuff takes forever to break down, and as diluted as it is, it's still going to, you know, affect the environment of, of what's in that water in general. Not just for our drinking water, but for everything that's in there, for all the plant life that's in there, um, for everything that's in there. I think... No. People kind of forget about stuff like that a lot when they're through hiking because they're just so at that mode of survival. So I don't know, even just like that impact.
0: Um, but I really schedule my business around pretty, um just to stay kind of at, at as leave no trace as possible. You know.
3: Yeah, we we like to call that brown blazing on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> yeah,
0: I do do some brown blazing. I've gotten really good at it. I my my constitution is. Pretty scheduled and i like it so
3: i think uh also a big thing especially i've noticed on the appalachian trail not so much on the pacific crest trail is carving in trees and carving in signs and carving in all kinds of stuff
0: wow and the graffiti i mean and and sometimes the consistency of the same pool for several hundred miles writing the same stupid thing shelter after shelter sign after sign um You know, I will say that there are exceptions. Sometimes there's a sign to a water source or an attraction, and you don't know if it's a good or bad deal. Sometimes the signs are very, very old, um, and they're falling apart. Other times they're brand new. But um, sometimes you don't know what's right down the the way, and should you get off trail to go down there. Someone had taken maybe a time to write on the sign some pertinent information. But, I mean, that still violates Leave No Trace. so. It's pretty crazy, but graffiti, yes, terrible.
2: Graffiti in the woods. I wonder why so many of us feel compelled to leave our mark on the world. The wilderness is really an invitation to question that. In all other aspects of human life, making a mark on the world is a good thing. Making a difference is a good thing. In the woods, though, we're suddenly supposed to not make a difference at all. We can make a difference, though, in a positive way. If we start to think outside of the narrow world of just poop and trash, let's hear from Par Three and Sarge as they talk about this a little.
4: Hey, this is Par Three with sounds of the trail. We are sitting at about mile ten eighty three. Um, little background on the last couple days: we uh, walked by the fire that was outside of Markleyville that is now seemed like from where we were that it's now under control. Um, there were some thunderstorms that we avoided, which worked out pretty good, and we walked all day in the shade, which is really nice because it's about 100 degrees, or it feels like that in the sun right now. The flowers are all in bloom. Scenery is totally different than what it's been the last couple of weeks, so everyone's pretty happy about it, and the stoke level is pretty high. So, today, or this week, the topic of the podcast is Leave No Trace, and trail etiquette, and etiquette of all sorts of hiker etiquette. And with me, I have Sarge. Hello. And Sarge, why don't you introduce yourself and give a little background on who you are, why you're doing the trail, all that fun stuff.
5: all right. Well, um, as you said, my name is, uh, the trail name is Sarge. I'm 45 and just retired this year from uh, Nevada Government Agency and just out hiking the trail. I've just had an interest over the past, building interest over the past three to four years, and um, I'm just loving it. It's pretty awesome.
4: You've just about made it home now.
5: Yeah, I live in Reno, so I'm, yeah, literally just like 30, 35 miles away from home, and that's pretty awesome to hike from the Mexican border to home in Reno. That's That's crazy
4: and we just caught our first glimpse of the lake which was
5: yeah that was that was nice
4: so etiquette let's start with hiker etiquette what for me i mean let's see you don't interact too much during the day you're kind of just passing each other but right. there's right. little things that can you can do or someone else can do that can kind of be irksome or i don't know even...
5: right well for the most part there seems to be a little, just a little difference. There's like a camaraderie among b c t through hikers or section hikers because well I'm not sure why, but it's it's just like a almost like a little brotherhood or you know sisterhood they're all we're all just traveling about this trail doing this kind of pretty amazing thing for people to to accomplish but um so it's kind of like a solo thing on the trail, but you do when you run across people for me. I always try to, uh, you know, say hello to people and ask them how they're doing and, uh, you know, make sure everything's cool. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is um, when you're coming down the trail and somebody else is coming up the trail, it's the person coming up the trail that has the right of way. Exactly. You know, a lot of people just don't realize that or know that, and um, so that's just like a general information that should probably be out there and uh usually if I'm if I'm coming down trail I'll i I'll step aside pretty much early on and wish wish people a good hike, you know and just I mean we're all out here uh, enjoying this natural wonder uh natural treasure so yeah just uh you know just be kind to folks to them as
4: you encounter them on the trail no i i agree i think that there's something to it's nice when people talk and they want to say hi and they want to know how your day's going instead of just blowing right by you and it's funny though it's, when i get back into town it's almost like i have an urge to do that to people walking down the street <laughs> right. you know it's like hey you know, it's like overly like, friendly yeah like hi like <laughs> smiling at everyone because out here it's you You do really say at least say hi how you how's it going? How's your day been so pretty much everyone you see, whether they're the p c t hiker or not
5: it's it's funny because the past probably the past this this has only happened to me like the past uh within the past week twice on this whole trip on this whole trip i'll be li- like, i was like i'll be filling up water at a water source, and it takes me a while because of the sawyer and i'm I'm filling up my water bottle, so i'm maybe I don't know three or four minutes into it. And then I turn around and there's somebody like on the bank watching me silently. And it kind of freaks me out. I'm like, oh, hi, how you doing? And, but it's kind of creepy, man, to be, (laughs) it's like someone just, so that's something is when I see somebody right away, I say, hey, how you doing? Or, you know, like if uh, everyone hikes at a different speed. So uh, if, if I come up on somebody, I say, hey, how you doing? Just kind of alert them that I'm behind them. And then if that happens, uh, if I'm the person in front, I'll step aside and you know, let them go by or vice versa. So there's little, little tiny things like that, I guess, that are common etiquette on, on trail.
2: Our behavior towards each other is an often overlooked part of Leave No Trace. We talk a lot about trash and campsites, then forget to remind each other to not shine our headlamps into other people's tents after dark. Nobody likes getting high-beamed right after falling asleep. On the long trails, when there is a specific window of time available to people to hike, the trail ends up being more crowded than your average piece of wilderness, and how we treat each other becomes more important. For this next segment, I've pulled some audio out of the vault. This is an interview I did at the Pacific Crest Trail kickoff back in April, and it's a real treat, and I've been saving it for you.
6: Okay, I'm switched back to trail pirate, basically a trail scoundrel and rascalian. I've been coming to the kickoff here for probably 15 years. I started hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail in probably about 1968 and I think the trail's in great shape today. Uh, we just don't want to love it to death. It's great to be here, uh, it's an honor to be here and I hope to be back again next year when the weather's a little warmer.
2: One thing I'm curious about. Is how the trail sort of entered your consciousness, and how you began your relationship with the trail. Because for me, I mean, I feel like I it was e- it's easier to learn about the trails these days. They're they're higher up in the social consciousness.
6: Well, I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly how it happened to me. I graduated from high school in 1966. When I was in high school, my buddies and I uh, started hunting in Southern California. Is that we'll hunt- where you're from? Yeah. And we'd hunt jackrabbits and, you know, things like that. And we had, you know, small-gauge rifles and stuff, twenty twos and things. And we, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we had a lot of fun. And about, I guess, 1967, 1968 or something like that, I once I got a feeling, uh, I just didn't want to hurt anything anymore. I didn't want to kill anything anymore. I didn't... I loved Mother Nature. I loved being out in Mother Nature. I loved the walking and kind of the exploring of hunting. And, you know, I loved that. But I just didn't want to hurt anything anymore. And uh, I don't know where that came from exactly, but it happened. And that's how I got into hiking and backpacking. And it was great. And my buddies, when I did that, they all said, well, gosh you're not going to go hunting and where i guess we're going to have to be backpackers too and so we all we We all switched over we, we all got into backpacking and that's how it happened for me and some of my friends uh back in those days
2: i think the the point that you're bringing up is something that maybe not everyone thinks about is that the trail we think of it as as a natural place you know it's the mountains it's it's these lakes it's this place that you hike through but it's a it's a historical place, and it's a place that is intimately tied with people. And, well, and it represents sort of this nexus where the people and, and the natural world can come together. Well,
6: you stop and think about the trail, or any trail, uh, but the, specific, the Pacific Crest Trail in particular. You stop and think about it. Whether you're down here in the desert, or you're up in the Sierras, or up in the Cascades, or whatever. If you're walking along the trail, okay... And if you look, generally, to your left or to your right, and you step off the trail 10 feet, let's say, you might as well be 500 years ago. I mean, if you're at a campsite, that's not true, but most of the trail, if you walk off the trail 10 feet, you might as well just look around... And that's the way it was 1000 years ago, 500 years ago. Mother Nature's Mother Nature. And you walk back into time and into history when you walk along the trail, when you see trees and rocks and animals. It's the way it was long ago. You know, and that's what's so neat about it is that you you walk into history when you walk the trail.
2: The Pacific Crest Trail has clearly been a transformative thing in your life. Is there a story that you could share that sort of epitomizes what the Pacific Crest Trail means to you and, and what it's done for your life? Yeah, it's You
6: know, most of the
0: a lot longer. like open the
6: Most of the trail is uh, you know so much in tune with nature and people you meet out there that you cannot be helped you know that you you're kind of reinvigorated in life you know a lot of people they say a lot of people hike the trail because they're getting divorced they're changing careers uh they just graduated from college you know there's all these reasons why people get out on the trail and that's the magic of the trail and it's a magic for me and it's a magic for everyone else it's just to get out there and be with Mother Nature and what's what I call getting into the rhythm of the trail. It's kind of a term that I've always thought of, is that the more you become part of Mother Nature when you're out there and accept the change and the different weather and the different moods of Mother Nature, it teaches you a lesson because nowadays in our modern society, in the modern age, we're so much governed by the clock and even when we're out on the trail, how much time do I have, how far can I go? You know, how much time do I have, how many miles can I get in? And I wish people didn't go out on the trail with so much of their modern era competitiveness and adversarial relationships sometimes with Mother Nature. You know, go out there and be part of Mother Nature, and that's the lesson you learn out there is John Muir didn't like the word hiking. He didn't like that word. Why? Because to John Muir the word hiking sounded like a military formation. What were the words that John Muir used when he went out? He used the word walking and sauntering. Why? Very important reasons why John Muir thought in those terms when he went out. He didn't think of hiking the trail or hiking out in Mother Nature. Because when John Muir was doing it, there probably wasn't a trail. <laughs> he was going cross he was going cross country. But he he thought in terms of just walking and sauntering and observing Mother Nature. And today, you know, we're very competitive and all of our modern gear and our our high-tech watches and and gps's and and everything and i think the trail's got something to teach us about uh throttling back in our lives getting back to the basics
2: i think that's one of the best parts of the pacific crest trail or any of these long trails is that they're long enough that if you hike on them long enough, eventually you can start to strip away some of those
6: things. I think you're exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Uh, Hopefully the trail in the future, uh, people who hike out on the trail that uh, we always want to emphasize that we want people out there to be good citizens of the trail and good citizens of the hiking community because every year we have uh, some difficulty sometimes with people out on the trail and uh, we want to make sure that all of us uh, emphasize the good citizenship nature of the trail and respect not only for mother nature you know leave no trace take uh, you know Leave only footprints, take only pictures, that kind of thing. We want to make sure that we respect one another and we respect Mother Nature. And that's a lesson the trail can also teach you. You don't want to look back on your trail experience and be ashamed of something. No, you don't.
2: It seems like the Pacific Crest Trail in particular is having what I would refer to as a cultural moment where it's been raised in cultural awareness by media and different things that are going on around it. And motion pictures. Motion pictures? Books? <laughs> How do you think that is going to impact the trail community, and what are the good and bad things you hope will come out of that? Well, I mean, you don't hope bad things will come out of it.
6: But. Well, the good thing, obviously, is you know more people will get out there and you know, enjoy things that we enjoy. You know, that's, the, that's a great thing. It's more popular. But what's the, the flip side of that coin? You love it to death. Yeah. And that's the flip side. And like I just mentioned, we want people to go out on the trail prepared. You know, we want them to go out prepared and understand the ethics of being out there. You know, the respect of Mother Nature, not be in an adversarial relationship with Mother Nature. You know, trying to pound out as many miles as you can per day. And, uh, you know, uh, the weather's not perfect, trail's not perfect, and you're kind of cussing under your breath. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> we, all, we
2: never do that. Yeah, we,
6: we never do that. We never do that. But we have to understand as we mature out on the trail that this is all part of it. This is all part of being out there, and we, we expect it. And when you expect this stuff instead of being surprised by it, that's when you get into the rhythm of the trail. That's when you start becoming one with the trail. You know, that's... yeah.
2: I also found that was one of the unique parts of being on a very long trail was if I was just to go out backpacking for a weekend, if I looked at the weather forecast and it was going to be windy and rainy and nasty weather, I would just stay home and do something else. And when you're on a long trail... Whatever comes, it comes, and you still stay out there. I slept outside in wind advisories and rainstorms and all kinds of crazy things that I would have never backpacked in or hiked in on on a weekend trip. Let
6: me give you a a good example. You're exactly right because those are all the different moods of Mother Nature that we should embrace, really. But here's an example of what you're just talking about that's a, a little bit simpler. There's 24 hours in a day. Okay. You're out on the trail. So, you can hike, theoretically, 24 hours a day, right? (laughs) Theoretically, Okay. Well, most people only think about hiking in the daytime. But guess what? If you want to see the trail, especially at altitude, like in the Sierras, Mm
0: -hmm.
6: or if you go in the high Sierras above 9,000 feet... (coughs) Do you know what kind of experience it is to hike at night in a full moon on the Pacific Crest Trail? You can go on the internet and go to websites that show the phases of the moon. Yes. You show a calendar and it shows different phases of the moon. And when you plan your hike, you can know what days in the month, and there's just several, right? Yes. Yeah. That it's going to be a full moon. And you could plan your hike where you can be at altitude on those days.
2: And what does that look like? Describe it for us.
6: Can you imagine being in the High Sierras at night and the stars and the shooting stars that you'll see? You know, there's a lot of animals that hunt at night. And that uh, look for food at night. That's another great experience of hiking at night because you might see some things. It's even though it's dark and you got your headlamp on, you know, and that kind of thing. But if you're up high, you're kind of out of the trees or there's very few trees. So you can see. I mean, you can, it's, and you got full moonlight. And so you got pretty good visibility. And the beauty of hiking at night with the universe all around you, your canopy. That's a pretty thrilling experience, and that's another aspect of the trail that a lot of people, I think, do not take advantage of, because they just think about daytime. It's the sun's going to come up. I got to get up and break camp because it's going to get hot here. About you know by nine o'clock, it's going to be pretty warm, so I've got to get up. And they just think in terms of daytime. Yeah. And there's a whole other world out on the trail at night.
2: Gosh, I wish I was hiking this year. (laughs) It just makes you so hungry for mountains talking about it. I guess to segue a little bit, um, one last thing. One of the things that you do here at Kickoff is talk about Leave No Trace. And you've talked a little bit about it already in this interview, but... You know... Leave No Trace people think, like, oh, we'll pack out your trash or whatever, but... You brought up some points about it's not just what you leave physically, but your own presence on the trail. Well, you're... Maybe you could, <clears throat> could tell us more about Leave No Trace.
6: Well, you know, Leave No Trace is that... Um, we think of that, you know, physical things. You know, I don't want to leave any trash, you know, paper, rubber bands, shelter stakes... Uh, we want to make sure that you know we leave as little impact as we can as we move through Mother Nature. And that's kind of leave no trace. But the other thing I was talking about before, if you really want to think about leave no trace, what about your reputation? What kind of l- reputation do you want to leave back along the trail of your conduct? You know, do you want to have your conscience completely clean about how you left no trace of yourself that would be any kind of a negative you only want to leave a positive with other hikers with trail angels you want to leave out there good vibrations, good vibes about you being out there that people talk about you when you're not there they say you know That Joe, boy, he's a really good hiker and he's very helpful. You know, I talked to him and he's really a helpful guy, very unselfish person to hike with. You know, if he has to modulate his pace to stay with everybody else because he hikes a little fast, he does that and he doesn't complain. He's really a great person to have along on a hike. That's the type of thing that you wanna do out there. It's not just picking up trash. It's your reputation also.
2: Well, it seems to me what you're talking about is not just being a good hiker, but it's being a good human. And I think the trail has a possibility to bring out the best of humanity, if you let it.
6: It, it does, and it has, it has the ability to teach you all these lessons that people talk about, and they're absolutely right. People talk about the lessons you learn, you know, life-changing friendships and lessons you learn on the trail, and they're, they're absolutely correct.
2: Well that's great. Thanks so much for your time, Switchback. Sure. And thanks for the stories.
6: Yeah. I have a lot more lies too, but
2: Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well we'll end this interview and
6: okay. thanks again. Yep, thanks a lot.
2: Earlier this week, as I was putting together this episode and listening to all the clips and thinking about some of the ideas that were coming out of all of this different audio, I was talking to my partner Dirtnap about it. And I thought he had some interesting things to say about Leave No Trace and and the philosophy behind it, so I asked if he wouldn't mind talking into the microphone for me. Hey Dirtnap. Hey Gizmo. Welcome back to the show.
7: Thanks. Thanks for having
2: me. I have asked you to talk to me a little bit about Leave No Trace and some of the things surrounding that. And I was hoping maybe you could articulate for me some of your philosophy about Leave No Trace.
7: And ask me a question. I'm just gonna let me roll. I'm
2: gonna let you roll. <laughs> Well, you were talking to me earlier about some things relating to our separation from society and going out to the wilderness and how that's reflected in our behavior in the backcountry.
7: Yeah, I think of it as, um, you know, it's not quite a paradox, but it's kind of interesting We think about going into the backcountry as freedom, but in a lot of ways we're taking on more responsibilities than than we have in our normal life. Um, A lot of responsibilities that we pass on to institutions we ourselves have to be responsible for in the back country you think of you know cleaning your own water providing your own water hauling your own water all of these things are things that in are normalized we don't ever think about we sort of leave that up to the municipality to deal with our own poop you know <laughs> for that matter or our, our own poop paper um Normally things you just leave in a toilet bowl and and wash away and, again, let somebody else deal with. But in the backcountry, we take the responsibility on ourselves to pack out our own trash, pack out our own poop paper, precisely because there is no, you know, government. There's no institution that's going to do it for us. We have to be that institution um, if we're all going to interact in the backcountry in a, in a way that's pleasant for all of us. I mean, you know, you think of all of the the support that, the institutional support that we get in our own lives from, you know, outside organizations of government. Um, think about ambulance and police and all of these things we have to be for ourselves in the backcountry if we're really going to, to travel in a responsible and, um, yeah, in a responsible manner.
2: You make it sound like it's no fun at all, all these responsibilities
7: but these are like you know the, it turns out their responsibilities are are important to me and you know I think other people
2: well, I like, was thinking about the word responsibility because it's true they are responsibilities and things we have to do but the the other side of that is when you can take on these responsibilities and you do not depend on other people, then that makes you independent
7: makes yeah. It makes you more independent, more you know, self-sustained. It's more, what do you say? Yeah, independent. Exactly.
2: Um, and then the, I know, the satisfaction that comes from being able to stand, you know, independent from yeah from and these things and take care of yourself.
7: They are. You can you can talk about them as responsibilities. You can also talk about them as skills. I mean, it is a skill. To be able to identify a good water source and to be able to clean it. It's a skill to be able to navigate yourself in the backcountry without, you know, the help of a GPS or Google Earth or whatever. It's a skill to be able to prepare your own meals in the backcountry. All of these skill all of these things are responsibilities, but they're also skill sets that we learn and continue to learn and continue to get better at. I know we were talking about the ideas of the principles of Leap No Trace, not just as these sort of stationary targets, but as something that you continually get better and better at. You get better at minimizing your impact, having less and less of a trace, um, because you're never really going to eliminate your trace at all, but you get better at identifying, you know, durable campsites, or more cognizant of, hey, you know, Instead of camping here on, you know, a surface where there's potential plants that can be impacted, let's move over here to where it's gravel, or you get better at identifying places to take a dump that that won't be, you know, that won't contaminate water or won't be a nuisance to other people who are going to be traveling that same path.
2: Do you have any good stories about a a leave-no-trace failure on your part? Something that you've learned
7: a failure. Let's see. Well, they're always like gray lines. They're always questions. You know, these things aren't exactly black and white. You're you're trying to find your mark, your standard in this sort of spectrum. So that, for instance, when we spilled dinner one night and we had this leftover glob of you know of um, pesticide, yeah, <laughs> pesticide beef stroganoff plus three extra pounds of of sand of, uh, of grit. What do you do? We were still, I don't know, four days out from a trash can. You know, x many miles. <laughs> we were a long ways. Still. We were a long ways. I mean, you know, it, it's that's a weight. Do you carry it out? Do you pack that out? I mean, leave no trace. If we're pushing ourselves to like the the a the a plus triple star rating, we probably should have packed it out. Instead, what we do, we d- we dug a hole. We dug a cat hole. And we disposed of it there. You can argue—is it that much different from a poop?
2: (laughs) A little less processed. A
7: little less processed. Possibly
2: less toxic.
7: (laughs) Less toxic, more grit. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's obviously it's not like a life or death question, (laughs) but you know, it's it's an example.
2: Uh, I think that I was—I tried to be aware of times that I was failing to live up to my highest standards of leave no trace, and I'm not having anything come to mind immediately, but a lot of the times I feel like I would really try and go the extra mile when I had a chance to sort of atone. Atone for my sins as a thru-hiker.
7: Yeah, I'm trying to think of them too. I mean, I know Just
2: times we camped maybe in sites that weren't as durable or established as we could have wished because it was really late and we were really tired and we couldn't figure out where else to go.
7: For the most part, I don't recall ever... like ever really trampling sensitive vegetation. I mean it's most it's an issue. Yeah.
2: I think uh, there were definitely some places that I took poops that were more sensitive than I would have wished, but like could not like it was an emergency.
7: Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a lot of cases I think that and this is sort of just the the PCT and I guess other trails. I feel like we camped close closer to the trail than I would have liked to. In a lot of situations, and that's not exactly like leave no trace. It's sort of more of a question of like your aesthetics. Like, do you want everybody to be able to see you from the trail? And you know, yeah, that's not exactly. Right.
2: Do you think that was just about you know the aesthetics, or was it more this idea of, of regulating your own presence as a, as leave no trace, and more of a desire to have people maybe be not so visible? and have a more of a wilderness feel to what we are doing instead of this two-foot-wide dirt highway.
7: You know, the the PCT does sort of ruin, totally ruin the illusion of, of any idea of solitude or um, wilderness. Uh, because not only do you know that there are people in front of you and behind you, you probably know who is in front of you and who is behind you and by how much they are in front of you or behind you. So that does have this this corridor this, this highway feel to it. Um which is why for me it was so special. Anytime we sort of dipped off the trail to find a campsite that was that you couldn't see the trail from or that had a, a view that exposed something hidden. Um those were always to me really special nights because, you know, it didn't just feel like we were trudging along all day and then all of a sudden we are just gonna you know pull off the side of the road and <laughs> camp at the, the the motel the the highway motel or whatever you know just felt like an added something special but leave no trace sins i know i've had a lot what else i remember when i completed my Knowles course and i was young what's
2: what's Knowles?
7: national outdoor leadership school i did a 30 day mountaineering course in the North Cascades as a, in high school. So it was 30 days and we were out the whole time, got resupplied twice, once by mules anyway, and you know, we talked a lot about this idea of League No Trace and Low Impact, and I recall very, very, very clearly my first day in town after we got back, and we were in Mount Vernon, Washington or whatever, we were all walking back from a pizza place and I had, like, a mint or something that I ate. And then un- I unwrapped the mint, ate the mint, and then I, like, dropped the the thing on the ground, the wrapper on the ground. And my peers looking at me, like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Fast 30 days, what have we been talking about? And I have no idea, to this day, I have no idea why I did that. I, I don't just go around dropping trash on the ground in my life, ever. I have no idea why I did that, and I was so ashamed, you know, I instantly grabbed it almost before it hit the ground, I was like, where did that come from? I had no idea. Um, But, yeah, you know, why should, why let Leave No Trace, why just started in the backcountry, right? If we all took more responsibility for, you know, our own impacts, we would minimize the strain of institutions having to, to pick up the slack.
2: I think people often find that being out in the wilderness or or being on these trails does bring out a better side to people, and maybe that's part of it. You know, as people begin to acknowledge their impact more fully on the world and take more responsibility for that, maybe that just carries over a little bit uh, to how you treat other people sometimes, but maybe not.
7: Maybe. I mean, more politer less confrontational, hopefully, in, in the woods, you know. I think all of these things go a long way to rein in yourself a little bit, so and you hope that everybody else reigns in themselves so you're not stepping on each other's toes.
2: So that's Leave No Trace. If you're unfamiliar with Leave No Trace and its specifics, I encourage you to go to lnt.org and check it out. I've also posted the link to the Leave No Trace website on our website www.soundsofthetrail.com. If you are familiar with it, I'd still encourage you to think a little more broadly about your actions and how they affect the wilderness and others. If there is a place in the world where there is space for all of us, surely that place is the wilderness. But only if we leave it that way. We've all screwed up, we're all learning, we've all had to repent of leave-no-trace sins, but that doesn't mean we should quit trying. Speaking of the wilderness, I'm headed out to the wilderness myself. I leave tomorrow morning to go to the Olympic Peninsula in Washington and spend some time backpacking and in the mountains out of the office, which means I may not be getting an episode out on time this next Friday. I will be trying to get something out, so there'll either be something late or something small, but... Not really sure what the reception's like right outside of Mount Olympus. So keep checking back in, I'll have something posted eventually and our last order of business is a quick update on how all of our hikers are doing. Par three is obviously hiking and doing great. Kim Chi's foot is still broken. She has a doctor's appointment this week to see if she's making progress and how soon she'll be able to get onto trail. And Sina is still evaluating how well her foot is healing and if she's going to be able to get back on or not. And so we'll hope to hear from her again soon. Have a good one, folks. Big rock, candy mountain You
3: never have to change your socks little streams of alcohol, come a-trickin' in through the
1: rocks.
3: All the railroad bulls at the tip of their hats, and the railroad
1: bulls are all blind. There's a little lake of stew, and a whiskey too. You can paddle all around it in your big canoe, on the bigger rock candy mountain I want.